I'm turning to Matthew 20, or Matthew chapter 2, rather, in verse 1. And I want to read there. I'll give you a moment to find it on your devices, your iPads, or or uh, your iPhones or smartphones. See it on the screen, if you would. Don't forget this Wednesday night. It's going to be a great night as well. I'm reading in Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I want to pay particular attention to that phrase, after Jesus was born. After. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. I want to take my thought from those few words at the beginning of the first verse. Again, they read this, this way, after Jesus was born. My subject for this morning is after Christmas devotions. After Christmas devotions. Father, I ask that you would meet with us now. We first of all give you praise from hearts that are overflowing, grateful for everything this season of the year means. We wouldn't be gathered here if it hadn't been for that first Christmas morning long ago. Your gift to us overwhelms our hearts, amazes us, enthralls us, captivates us. Would you speak to us now from your word and give us revelatory insight? That is, do with these scriptures what you did with the scripture to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Make them come alive so that our hearts burn within us. Let me hide behind the cross that they see only you. And we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. After Christmas devotion. I don't mean a after Christmas devotion. I mean a state of mind and attitude after Christmas of devotion. Christmas has come and gone, hasn't it? For another year. Christmas is now behind us. We've had the Christmas program. I've preached my Christmas message for the year, both on New Year's Eve. I'm sorry, Christmas Eve. I'm already looking to New Year. Both on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We've worshiped together both times. I want to thank you for coming. The crowds were fantastic. We started a new culture here some years ago. Strange because you have two divergent streams of theology and thought on how to worship at Christmas that exist in the Christmas in the Christian community. You have the Orthodox community that, you know, people don't worship the Lord every week regularly. They don't necessarily feel the need to. Many people do not. And yet, on the major religious holidays, everybody goes to church that's a part of the Orthodox Christian community. And the Pope gives his address, and everybody tunes in for that. The square is usually full at the Vatican, except for this year because of the virus. 
People wouldn't miss it for the world. But in the spirit-filled Christian community, we go to church every week, unlike our counterparts in the Orthodox faith. And then when it comes time for the religious holidays, we stay home. (laughs) Never did make a lot of sense to me. If there ever was a time we ought to be in the house of God, it seems like it ought to be on days like his birth and, you know, to celebrate his resurrection. And so we've tried to change the culture insofar as Christmas is concerned. And I want to thank you that even though Christmas is past, the fact that you were here just a couple of days ago, bless me. And didn't we have good church? I had a God moment on Christmas Day while we were in worship. Now, the laughter of the children as they open their gifts, well, that's all behind us. All the Christmas food, and my God, did we have food. Anybody have plenty of Christmas food, more than you really needed? We had a Cajun Christmas, as I said, at my house, and that means steak, rice, and gravy without a turkey to be found anywhere on the premises. Amen. And then shrimp creole on top of that. It was memorable. (laughs) I'm telling you. Now, we're all kind of standing on the scales with one foot lifted, wondering if that makes any difference. And standing sideways, looking to see, well, we didn't do too bad. There's not too big a bulge there. Amen. We won't have to work out quite as long into the new year, perhaps, and spend as many hours at the gym before we get back down to where we should be. Some of you traveled and went out of town, you're back home now, others are still gone. You've watched your yearly limit of Hallmark Christmas movies by now, don't wanna see another one for a while, right? Amen, you've listened to Jingle Bells and the first Noel until, well, we can put those up for another year. Now it's time to start thinking about the new year and what it holds. In our text, the birth of Christ was also now over in past two. The shepherds had come and worshipped and gone back to the fields. Angelic choirs had returned to their celestial home above and were once again offering their praise and worship upon the crystal sea of glass mingled with fire before the throne that was surrounded by an emerald rainbow. The Romans had finished collecting their taxes, which was the very reason that Joseph had to journey to Bethlehem to begin with. That was now over and done with. And the wise men we read about in this story who have come to worship Christ have actually come into town when it is now well after Christmas. Notice again that our text says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem after Jesus was born. The problem is that it doesn't say how long after he was born that they appeared. And we get the impression that it couldn't have been more than a few hours at the most. That same morning, certainly, absolutely, for sure. I mean, we know that to be true because we've seen the nativity scenes with shepherds and with camels and with wise men bearing precious gifts and sheep and donkeys and the baby in the manger after Christmas means that it was still Christmas morning, right? No, 
Not in the case of the wise men, it doesn't. In fact, it would have been physically impossible for them to have made it to Bethlehem for that Christmas morning. The reality is they didn't show up until Jesus' birth had been over for several months. Babylon, the distant city from which they had traveled, was nearly 900 miles away to the east. And they didn't have United Airlines, KLM, American, or Air France to get on and fly for two to two and a half hours and then get there. They didn't have the luxury of that. There were no paved roads. They had to travel by camelback across the harsh and inhospitable terrain of an arid desert where there was little water and there were wandering bands of robbers and cutthroats waiting to catch people like them in their journey. And camels don't travel very fast to begin with unless they're forced to run, something they will only do for comparatively short distances because there's not much water there. And to run like that uses up the water in their body quickly. And Jerusalem was far, far away to the east. It was a long and exhausting trek from where they began to where the baby Jesus lay. And by the time they arrived in Jerusalem, Christ was no longer lying in a manger like you see depicted in all of the nativity scenes. In fact, verse 11 tells us in the same chapter that when they did find Jesus, they found him being brought up by Joseph, his foster father, and Mary, his mother, as a baby in their own house. And that means that Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, had secured a home for his baby to stay in and his bride. And they were raising the baby there. And Joseph had found more suitable accommodations for them than the stable. King Herod welcomed the wise men because they went there first following the star, brought them to the major city in Palestine, which was Jerusalem. Did you notice that just a week ago tomorrow now, it will make seven days tomorrow evening, that there was a rare planetary conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter. Did you get out of the city far enough to see it? Only happens about once every few hundred years. The one that happened this past Monday night and that particular alignment only occurs once every 800 years or so. You won't live long enough to see the next one. And they believed that that was the story of Bethlehem that appeared in a really rare triple planetary conjunction all those years ago and each time it did they could follow it because they were astronomers and it moved progressively to the east until finally it stopped or seemed to right over Bethlehem and they went to the major city there and they made an appointment to see King Herod because you don't just walk in and see the king just because you showed up in town right and they told him what they were there for and he pretended, slyly, sly fox that he was, to be interested and said, oh, that's, that's fascinating. Go find him and when you discover where he's at, bring me word and I too will go worship him. But he really intended to assassinate the baby because he viewed him as a potential rival to his throne. The wise men were warned by God in a dream about the evil intentions of King Herod. And so they chose a different route from which to return to Babylon. 
And King Herod became so angry upon having his ruse exposed that he had every male child in Bethlehem up to the age of two years killed to be certain that he got rid of this thorn in his side, this potential political rival named King of the Jews, whoever that was. And that means... That Jesus had grown enough that he was no longer a little baby. Herod had all male children two years of age and under killed for a reason. It meant the baby was growing by this time. We don't quite know how old he might have been. But he wasn't the little baby in the manger that, that everybody thinks was there when the wise men showed up. Whatever... The noise, whatever the uproar, the shakeup, or the disturbance that the birth of Jesus had caused to happen that morning with angels appearing and choirs singing and shepherds abandoning their flocks and running into town like their cloaks were on fire. That was all over now. And everything had settled back down to normal on the surface That is to say, folk had gone back to work, kids had gone back to school, so to speak. Life was back to life as normal in that little town. And even the owner of the inn, who had no room for the heavily pregnant young expectant mother those months ago, was getting over his embarrassment at what had happened. He had meant to be insensitive. I mean, how was he to know she was going to give birth that very night? Had he known, he would have given up his bed in his room for them rather than have to live with all of the stares from the community. Like, how could you do that? Put a pregnant woman in a stable to give birth? And he's just like, guys, I, I didn't know she was that close. And he's glad that it's now months behind him. All of this means that by the time the wise men got to Bethlehem, the first Christmas is now not just past. It's back there in the rearview mirror ways. Folks were doing the normal thing again. And now, months later, three wise men on camelback show up seeking the baby Jesus to worship him. They had come to offer to him their devotions. And that's what I mean when I say that they came to give him after Christmas devotions. Their frame of mind all these months later was there was somebody born here that that deserves my worship. Not just that morning, but now these months later. And that's a good thing because they didn't forget about Christ just because Christmas had ended And like that first century, Christmas has come and gone for us too, hasn't it? The tree and the gaily colored lights will be taken down soon if they haven't been already. And the boxes that toys and gifts came in and the bright wrapping paper, all that's been put out by the side of the road now, waiting to be picked up and carried away. And one sure sign that Christmas is over. You're already dreading to go to the mailbox. Because <laughs> you know there's going to be a little package in the mailbox. A little envelope. It's going to have Mr. Visa's name on it. And you're not wanting to see that one get there. Amen. We have worshipped together. We have expressed our gratitude for the birth of Christ. We've sung together. We've come to church together. We even wore our ugly sweaters together. Amen. You know what I mean. 
the one that you dare not pull out unless it's Christmas. And you've wished everybody a Merry Christmas and it's over. These three wise men teach us that just because the event is over, there's still something that needs to come next. Some things we can learn from them. What do we learn from the wise men? The first thing that we learn is simply this, that God deserves our worship at other times too. Not just on Christmas morning. The wise men came after all the others had already come and gone. And they didn't say, well, we're late. It's been a long and difficult trip. Let's wait and do this next year. That's not what they said. Some folks are good to attend. They're always good to attend the special holiday services. But did you know God actually is here the other 50 weeks of the year too? Outside of Christmas and Easter? This passage tells us that our devotion to Christ should be an ongoing thing. We know it took a while for them to get there because when Nehemiah and the Jewish people in captivity left Babylon, same city, after the captivity had ended to travel back to Jerusalem, the same 900 miles, it took them four months to make that trip. Four months. That means that the wonder of worship and devotion wasn't forgotten just because Christmas had ended when the wise men came to town. From these three wise men, we learn not only that God deserves our worship every day, even after Christmas, but we also learn what is the basis for our worship. And that is this. Worship should always be predicated upon the value of what is being worshipped. It's the intrinsic worth of what we worship that sets a standard for how much worship it deserves to be given. It shouldn't be determined by how we feel. Worship is not something you do because you feel like it. I, I think I feel like going to church today, so I go. I don't feel like going, so I won't. That's not worship. Worship should never be predicated upon human feelings. It is always predicated upon the value of the object that we are coming to worship. Amen. Neither should worship be predicated or based upon how good God has been or not been to us. Amen. That's not worship. That's thanksgiving. Christ actually deserves both, doesn't he? He deserves both. Has God been good to anybody in this building today? Has anybody made it through things you shouldn't have made it through? Oh, I want to ask you, have you survived when you didn't know if you would survive? Has God seen you through things you didn't know his grace could carry you through? Has the goodness of God been with you every step of the way? Have you made it when you didn't know if you would make it? Did you lose a job but you're still here? Did you get sick but you're still here? Did somebody in your family get sick but you're still here? Did you lose a loved one and you didn't think you could survive their loss but you're still here, aren't you? 
Because you learn something about the grace of God in troubling and difficult and challenging times. You see, that's why if there's anybody, I I just got to say this, let me digress for a moment. Is if there's somebody here that God's been good to you and you know it and you feel like you want to say it, would you stand to your feet and could you shout it out at the top of your voice? God, I thank you. You've been good to me. You've been better to me than I deserve. You've been better to me than I've been to myself. Can somebody praise him in the house today? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. My heart is overwhelmed. I'm sorry, I'm not done yet. I just got to say thank you some more. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. You may be seated. But you see, that's Thanksgiving. And God deserves our Thanksgiving and our worship. Our Thanksgiving is about what he's done for us. Our worship is predicated upon the value of who he is. And that means, in my book at least, that God deserves our worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And again, can I hear somebody say amen? And not only that, he deserves my worship in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November and December he's got all the time and he never loses any of those qualities that makes him God in fact when I look at the Bible I discover that all of eternity will not be long enough to give our Lord the worship that he gloriously deserves if that is true then it's for certain that worshiping him at Christmas won't be enough to fill it up to make up the measure of worship that he deserves. In fact, we read in the book of Revelation of 24 elders who are pictured casting their crowns at his feet and declaring in Revelation 4 and 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. That's the four and 20 elders. But that's not enough because we read on in the very next chapter that the angels have been worshiping him since eternity past. God only knows how long that has been. And that is not enough either. In fact, Revelation 5 tells us that 100 trillion angels cry out continuously in Revelation 5 and 12 saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing you want to know how much a a hundred trillion is that's a hundred followed by twelve zeros that are around the throne. That many angels are around the throne worshiping Christ, worshiping our God. Or let me help you see it another way. There are almost 8 billion people on the face of this planet. If you look at that 100 trillion, that's 12,500 angels for every human being on this planet right now. And all their 
are doing is saying worthy, 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 worthy. And yet God says, hold on now, hold on, that's not enough. He says, Gabriel, step aside. I want you to move out of the way, Michael, because I got some folk getting ready to come up here that are going to worship me, that have been washed in the blood. They're my church, my bride, my redeemed ones, and they can sing a song that you cannot sing. It will take all of eternity, however long that unfathomably long period of time may be to give him the praise that he deserves. And if it takes that long to give him the praise he deserves, that means that every moment I'm not worshiping him. (laughs) There is a deficit created in what I ought to be giving to God. The wise men teach us that after Christmas, devotions are still due him. Not only that, they teach us this, that time for worship should be a part of your daily schedule. This passage shows us that you always have time in your schedule for God if you want to put it there. What do I mean? No matter how busy you are, no matter how much you've got going on or what the pressing issues of life may be at the moment so commanding and demanding in terms of your time. But you still need to take the time as a believer and a child of God to prioritize time for him. Think about the time this trip took. Because as I said, they didn't hop a United Airlines flight and fly for two and a half hours. That's not what happened. They had to, first of all, see the star through their telescopes. Then, after they have found the star and discerned that something unusual is going on, they had to make a a decision. They got together, they talked about it. You know, there's something happening. We gotta go check this out. And once they made that decision, they had to gather supplies for a journey that lasted for months. And then after they said goodbye to their family and to their friends, they had to journey all those months to, to Jerusalem. And then they set an appointment to meet King Herod. And they explained to him why they are there. And they present their letters from back home and, and letters of introduction and all of that. And we are a, a Astrologers, and we have seen something that's happening over this country. We've come to worship he who is born king of the Jews. Herod has to send to the temple and bring the scholars. And they've got to come and explain where Jesus would be born. And then he's got to call the wise men back and tell them where to look. And they've got to get back on their camels and travel some more. And when they get to Bethlehem, they've got to go from door to door until they find the right house. And finally, they're there and they worship. And then while they're there, they're resting from that long trip that they were just on. They, get a, they have a dream. And God says, don't go back the same way you came because Herod's trying to kill the child. And so they secretly begin to gather supplies for the journey back. And then they slip away and go back a different route. And they have to travel all these same miles, 900 miles by camelback to get back home. Oh. And finally, they arrive back home exhausted and tired. Here's the point that I make. That little trip took the better part of a year. They gave an entire year of their life to worship Christ, to go find him. I don't have to do that. 
All I got to do is get in my air-conditioned car and drive for 10 minutes and I'm here. And most of us, it's pretty much the same way. You see, that's why I say that, that you look at the people in Jerusalem when they were carried away captivity and, and when they got into captivity, they wept, they hung their harps upon the willows because they were demanded to sing a song of Zion. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they cried and for 70 years, they mourned not being at the house of God in Jerusalem. And finally, the decree is issued and they're allowed to return. And do you know that when some of those aged old men and women got back to Jerusalem, who were just little kids when they were carried away into captivity. There weren't many of them that survived. But when they got back and they saw the city, they wept. They wept. This virus has been like that, hasn't it? This virus has kept many people out of church that would like to be here. People that were going to church every Sunday, going to church faithfully. I read a stat the other day that that approximately 34% of the believers that went to church before COVID are now going to church at this time. And the other 66% are not. And that's because they're terrified. They don't feel comfortable. And I absolutely understand that. I really do. People don't feel safe coming to church anymore. And as I've said before on many occasions, you know, that's okay. I'm not going to put any pressure on you to come. As long as you still want to come. But when you lose your want to, that's a different matter. Amen. I understand people getting old. You're not young like me. (laughs) Some of you old folk need to stay home. You've got underlying health conditions. You can't come to the house of God right now. You're afraid to, but I can and I do. And I'll tell you where I drew the line insofar as I was concerned. I was doing counseling. I'm doing funerals. I'm already mixing with the people of God. Now, how am I in integrity going to stand up here and tell you I can't come to church? When I'm with you every day, every week anyway. I couldn't do it. My job requires that I be there. Amen. My calling. And so I had to participate. This virus has kept us in our own form of captivity. We haven't been 900 miles away, but we've been stuck in houses. And I'm talking to some online right now. And you know exactly what I'm saying because your heart is to be here, but you can't right now. And I I really do understand that. I praise God because while I stand here as your pastor, I am happy to report there has not been a single outbreak of that sickness. Praise God during this whole crisis from attending services. Not a one. And that is Psalms 91 straight out of the book. That's what that is. That's God covering us and protecting us. I don't know. There might be someone become ill next week uh, as a result of being here. But I just pray not and I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And pray that God will cover you and shield you and not allow that virus to affect you. But I tell you what has happened all during this entire time. People have gotten it going to HEB and Walmart and going to Lowe's and going to Home Depot. I'm not making that up. They've gotten it. 
They've gotten it on the job. How do I know? Because we are praying for them. I've even conducted, as I said, some of the funerals. And so they're getting it somewhere. I tell you, if they were here at church and they got it, it would make news all over the, the world. I know because I was in Africa and it, it was a church out in California that had an, a little outbreak. I think three or four people tested positive from going to church. Ah, it made the news. Don't go to church. But you never hear about an outbreak in aisle 14 at Walmart, do you? Amen. Explain that to me. And while we're, while, we're, while we're explaining things, I got something else I'd like for you to explain. We have people who have yet to even get out of their house. Hadn't got out one time. And they live alone. And folk bring them groceries and drop them off on the front porch. They tell me, pastor, I have not left my house. And they still get the virus in their own house. I just decided I'm going to church. Amen. Amen. And I want to compliment you because you do what you're supposed to do. You come in wearing your mask, you leave wearing your mask. You give room for social distancing. You don't, you're not touching. You're not shaking hands. A number of times in the, the, uh, the service this morning, people came up to me with their hand extended and then went, ooh. <laughs> Pulled the hand back in and threw the elbow out. I know exactly what, what they're doing. I, I actually went to Jack, not Jack in the Box. It was Whataburger the other day to get my Coke Zero. And they gave me a Dr. Pepper. Like they don't know the difference at Jack in the Box between Dr. Pepper and Coke Zero. And so I thought about getting back in line. I'd already waited 25 minutes in the line. So I said, I'll park, I'll run in, I'll tell the manager who's been very kind to me. I've known him for a long time. I'm a regular customer. <laughs> Amen. And he'll just give me another one. I'll get back in the car. And I zipped out because I was in a hurry to make it here for an appointment. And I forgot my mask. And I got inside and I was at the machine and I was getting my soda. And I thought, mask, where are you? And I could hear it say, I'm in the car. And so I hurried and finished, held my breath, and I started walking. And as I was getting near the door, somebody said, Pastor Heard. And I froze. It was some of our young men. There were a whole bunch of them. And I said, guys, forgive me. I forgot my mask. It's in the car. I was busted. I figure if I can go get me a Coke Zero, I can come to church. But, and let me say this, because I, I want you to hear me clearly. If you're watching this at home, if you can't come, it's okay. I don't want you to get sick. I'm not saying everything I said. To make you feel bad, this is where I'm coming from. While you're home, there needs to be a desire in your heart to be in the house of God. You should be like David. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go back to the house of the Lord when you are able to get back. 
Don't lose your want to, because when you lose your desire to be in the house of God, that's when you get in trouble. And you know that's happening in Christianity right now, right? You do know that. That there are people that are becoming detached from the congregation that has nurtured them during the years. I hear pastors talking about it constantly. I see the statistics on it. Don't lose your desire to come worship. The three wise men teach us that. Christmas may be over, but he still deserves our worship. Amen. And the next thing that this passage teaches us, and I'm done, is that you aren't too late either. (laughs) This passage tells us what we already know, is that even though you may feel like life is passing you by, there's one that will always hold the door open for you. Yeah. It's like Motel 6. They'll keep the light on for you. Amen. That's the kingdom of God. In life, you often feel like you're a day late and a dollar short. And life can make you believe that you've been passed over, ignored, forgotten, and excluded. But I just want to tell somebody here that if that's the case and you're just coming to serve God, you're not too late. The party's just getting started. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. You say, well, this COVID thing shook me up and that's why I'm here and I feel like I'm getting started late. And, and, and some of you might even be older. Some of you might have let most of your life go by and you're saying, well, I don't have a whole lot left to even give him. Hey, let me just let you in on a secret. He's happy to see you here. Party hasn't ended. Music hasn't been turned off yet. The lights haven't been, haven't been put out. No, no, no. Party's still going on. Look at somebody and say, we're here to party. Would you do that? Amen. We're here to celebrate. We're here to worship God. Hallelujah. You're right on time. Yes, you are. I love that about what Paul said. Concerning his relationship with God and having seen Christ and being made into an apostle. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 8, he says that last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Yeah. I showed up late, but I got to receive everything else that others had been given before I got there. The three magi also show us that you can make a difference with your life. And with this, I'm only going to be a couple more minutes the story teaches us that you haven't come too late that's true but also that what you're carrying is going to make a big difference it is the wise men came bearing gold and frankincense and myrrh these were extremely valuable gifts that were worth a lot of money remember the story of the alabaster box of ointment it was so precious worth a year's salary when Herod got upset because the wise men didn't come back to tell him where to find Jesus as I've already stated he became furious and just ordered the execution of every male child two years of age and under in little Bethlehem but that very night an angel appeared and tapped Joseph on the shoulder and said Joseph get up out of bed they're going to try to kill this little boy and you can't let that happen and you need to go and flee into Egypt and that very night he got up packed their few things together left the lights on and the door open and went out while it was still dark and began to travel to Egypt and escaped when all the other parents lost their child Joseph's was spared he is the foster father 
was able to make a difference now in the life of this baby because of three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those valuable gifts that the wise men bought took care of them while they were in Egypt and preserved the young child's life. And had that child been lost then, there wouldn't have been a Calvary and there wouldn't have been a resurrection. And so my point is, is that those three men didn't even know it. They were making a contribution to the furtherance of the kingdom of God and the establishing of the gospel message. And you come bearing gifts too. Yes, you do. You come bearing gifts. They gave their time as well. You come bearing gifts. And I want to ask you, what are you carrying in your life that will make a difference? What skills and abilities and talents do you possess that you have come to offer to Christ after everybody else has come and gone? Inspire church. Indeed, the kingdom of God operates on the thousands of hours that volunteers give and dedicate to God here that make a huge difference in the lives of so many people in our community. Thousands of hours. I was thinking about that as the year ended. God, where would we be without the volunteers who keep this church functioning and running? It begins right there at the door. Anybody know Brother James Brown? Anybody know Brother James Brown? Let me see your hand. If you don't, I got to tell you who he is. He is this remarkable guy. I'm not talking about James Brown. I feel good. I'm talking about our James Brown. You know what I mean? The one that when he wears a mask, which he always does, he greets you. He's the first person you meet when you come onto the property. But he greets you with a smile that is so big, his eyes are smiling above the top of his mask. He makes you feel welcome here. Amen. His whole face lights up when he sees you. And you can see it in his face that you matter here. It's volunteers like our first impressions team, our ushers, our watchmen, our children's ministry teachers and our workers and our Inspire Youth Ministry workers and our Inspire Young Adult team that are making a huge difference. And it's all the many projects that we get involved in in the course of a year, like the, the food giveaways, where we've given away tons and tons and tons of food to literally thousands of families. And the COVID testing that we've done here on the property. It's our musicians. Man, these guys, I don't know if you know how good they actually are. That Kelton on that drums, that, that guy is amazing. Robert has put together a team. Paulie on the guitar, oh my heavens. And John and all the rest of them, they do an amazing job. And the worship leaders, they bring us right into the presence of God. I thank God for those that make this church function. Amen. You come bearing gifts. And there are many others that I can't call by name. It's probably a mistake to even begin to name one because I'm leaving somebody else out that's just as valuable. It's people like Tony Bergs that sits right there on the front pew that serves as our administrative pastor and gets a salary of $1 a year. That's right. Next time you see him, tell Tony he needs a raise. Amen. The three wise men from Babylon help us realize that our gifts matter. Amen. And you have something valuable to give. As they come back, I'm done. 
And the final thing that they teach us is not only do your gifts matter, but Christ values your gifts and values your worship and values your service. And this story lets us know that it is being received and appreciated. Your worship matters because you matter. You matter. You matter to God.